keeping you connected. For Radio Catskill, this is Rosie Starr. Welcome to Farm and Country, locally produced radio about rural life in the Catskills and the Delaware River Valley. On today's show, Keith Hubbard's Star Talk highlights this week's moonless Leonid meteor shower. Brent Habig from Two Creek Farm in Northeast Pennsylvania visits us in our Liberty Studios and talks turkey. Christine San Jose tops off our show with poetic sentiments on Veterans Day. All of that coming up on today's Farm and Country. But first, news headlines from NPR. Live from NPR News in Washington, I'm Giles Snyder. With fighting raging near hospitals in the Gaza Strip, World Health Organization Director General Tedros Adnan Ghebreyesus is among those calling for a ceasefire. 1.5 million people have been displaced and are looking for shelter anywhere they can find it. But nowhere and no one is safe. Gabriel spoke before the UN Security Council amid international calls for Israel to do more to protect civilians. Israeli forces are intensifying their offensive in Gaza City around Al Shifa Hospital, Gaza's largest. Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu said today that the responsibility for civilians lies with Hamas. Israel accuses Hamas of using the hospital as a command post and of setting up elaborate tunnels beneath it. Pro-Palestinian protesters on the streets of London. Today's march is the latest in a series of rallies in the British capital. Police have launched a major operation to keep clashes from breaking out with right-wing counter-protesters. House Republicans expected to release details of a temporary spending bill today. Congress has less than a week to strike a deal to avert a partial government shutdown, as NPR's Windsor Johnston reports. Lawmakers are again finding themselves in an all-too-familiar situation, up against a critical deadline to pass a bill to keep federal agencies funded through the next fiscal year. Speaker Mike Johnson is expected to bring a short-term funding measure to the floor for a vote as early as Tuesday. House Republicans have spent the week negotiating the provisions, with some hardliners pushing for conditions related to border security and deep cuts in government spending. Lawmakers are also weighing President Biden's request for additional funding for Ukraine and Israel. Windsor Johnston, NPR News. Washington. Activists from around the country are making their way to Atlanta to try to shut down construction at a planned public safety training center they've dubbed Cop City. Over the past two years, the site has seen scores of protests, including one that turned deadly when state troopers shot and killed an activist from member station WABE. Shemaine Cruz reports. Organizers are calling for the Block Cop City event to remain nonviolent, but say they will have medics and jail support on hand. Teach-ins like art making and legal defense are set to ramp up over the weekend and culminate with a massive march at the site on Monday. 
The area is surrounded by predominantly low-income, majority Black neighborhoods. A spokesperson for the Georgia governor's office says it'll respect the right to peacefully protest, but will not allow quote violent offenders and domestic terrorists to break the law without swift consequences. Atlanta police say the department is also monitoring the situation. For NPR News, I'm Shemaine Cruz in Atlanta. And this is NPR News. Welcome back to Farm and Country. I'm your host, Rosie Starr. On today's show, Brent Habig from Two Creek Farm in Northeast Pennsylvania visits us at our Liberty Studios and talks turkey. Christine San Jose tops off our show with poetic sentiments on Veterans Day. But first, here is Keith Hubbard with this week's Star Talk report. Thank you for joining us on Radio Catskill for this week's locally produced Farm and Country. country. I'm Keith Hubbard, and this is Star Talk. From now until the end of November, the Leonid meteor shower will be occurring. The meteors will appear to radiate from the sickle in Leo, which gives the shower its name. The best time to see the meteor shower will be in the late night and early morning hours. At that time, the sickle will be high in the southeast. The best place to view the shower will be a rural location away from city lights. During the shower's peak, which will be the evening of Friday into the morning of Saturday this year, you can expect to see 10 to 15 meteors per hour. The waxing crescent moon will be in the western sky at sunset and will set around 8 p.m. Since Leo will not rise until after 11 p.m., the prime viewing time for the shower will be moonless. The meteors will come from the comet Temple Tuttle. It was discovered independently by William Temple in December 1865 and Horace Tuttle in January 1866. It was then lost for 100 years before being rediscovered in 1965. The Leonids have produced some amazing displays in the past. In 1966, thousands of meteors fell within a 15-minute span. The meteor shower of 1833 was known as the Night the Stars Fell. That night, an estimated 100,000 meteors per hour rained down on Earth. The Leonid meteor shower is occurring now through the end of November, with the peak night being this Friday into Saturday. If you have any questions, comments, or ideas for future Star Talk segments, my email address is startalk at farmandcountry.org. For Farm and Country and Star Talk, this has been Keith Hubbard reminding you to keep looking up. For Radio Catskill, this is Rosie Starr in our Liberty Studios. I'm speaking with Brent Habig from Two Creek Farm in northeastern Pennsylvania. Brent, thank you for coming in today to our Liberty Studios. Welcome. Thank you. I'd like to begin our conversation by having you introduce yourself a bit with a bit about your background, uh, some personal history or whatever you'd like to share that brought us to this point today. 
Sure. Well, thanks for that. I spent much of my career as a global environmental activist. I did a lot of work in Africa and Asia around climate change and a lot of work with governments and major corporations. And after many years, didn't feel that that was as impactful as I had hoped. Uh, I concluded that a fair amount of that was greenwashing and really just trying to find the story in environmental action as opposed to changing business practices. And so I decided to shift into uh, grassroots work and really trying to support regenerative agriculture through my own farm as as a, a platform for production of food, but also for training and education. Well, you mentioned the word regenerative just now. Uh, for our audience that's not familiar with that, can you elaborate a little bit on that? Yeah, unfortunately, the term is kind of used and abused quite a bit these days. I think in its simplest sense, it just means that the farm is regenerating or rebuilding or restoring its ecology, that year on year the farm should produce more abundance, should be have more biodiversity, more habitat, and more flourishing, as opposed to agriculture that might be degenerative. So you can imagine if you're just doing monoculture, just tilling year after year, you have loss of topsoil, loss of groundwater, or even here, if you're just pulling hay off year after year, decade after decade, you're depleting the resources of that farm. Regenerative would be restoring those resources. In the case of Two Creek Farm, what is the history of that farm? What was it before that you would be regenerative of that farm? Well, I like to think back about what it would be in its natural state, which would maybe be hundreds or thousands of years ago with enormous herds of bison, elk, doing actually quite a bit of damage to that landscape, but then leaving for long periods of time to allow it to regenerate. So I think we would have more meadows, uh, more forests at different stages of maturity, a lot more animals, and we'd have humans living in there in a different way, probably more smaller groups of indigenous people there. And so getting back to that type of a balance of nature is sort of what excites me about this. When I look around, I can see many years of tillage where I see the fields have been cleared of stone. I can see forests of various ages, but probably... 100, 150 years ago, it had been clear-cut. And, you know, I can see the pastures in many cases are degraded from either set stock grazing or hay cultivation year after year after year. So we're kind of trying to bring a lot more animals back because that's what a healthy ecosystem requires and then do that in a way that's enhancing of biodiversity enhancing of habitat that hopefully restores ecology but also produces amazing food. You're in northeast Pennsylvania, and that area has a history of dairy farming. 
Was it uh, previously a dairy farm? Yeah, I could see the dairy equipment in the barn. So we and we had a an old ice house on the property, so I can see a history of dairy there. I know the family that was farming there in the fifties transitioned from dairy to beef, and that's certainly what we see even now. A lot of small dairies facing difficulties and transitioning to beef. But the farm was owned by a family of weekenders for New Jersey for about 20 years. And through that period, there was no upkeep of barns or other outbuildings. And so there was enormous sort of a loss through those years. Mm-hmm. We've now been on the farm since 2000 and full-time farming. This is into our third season. So yeah, we're well on the path of turning all this around and yeah, really having, seeing uh, good, good impacts. Well, tell us about what you do on that farm. What type of agriculture do you practice? What do you produce there? So we're a diversified farm and the belief is that animals and vegetables through being grown in combination will be more productive. So we have in our ruminants or our grazing animals, we have cattle and sheep. We have a large pastured poultry operation with layers uh, that lay eggs. We have broilers for meat chickens, and we do a seasonal run of turkeys around Thanksgiving. We also have hogs, so we farrow piglets and raise them to market hogs on the farm. Quite a bit of uh, meat production between beef, lamb, chicken, turkey, and pork. We also just this past season opened up a no-till market garden, and we have introduced that successfully to our farmer's markets. And so that's a new uh, set of products that we have that's uh, doing quite well. It's all certified organic. That's another differentiator of our product that is important to many of our customers. I know that you have a big presence in our community at the markets and you have products in stores and different locations as other farmers do. I mean, we are very blessed in this area. We're in a basket of agricultural abundance and you're part of that. What set you aside from the other growers and producers in our area? Well, I would sort of think of it a different way. I mean, I think how can I contribute to more flourishing of the local market and what can I add to that to bring more customers from grocery stores to support my farm and the network of every other farm, both through farmers markets as well as through farm-to-counter sort of retail establishments. So, you know, I think we... Because of the uh, the animal welfare, because we're regenerative, because we're organic, a lot of those are big differentiators and people who are cautious about industrial meat or concerned about growing animals indoors or use of pesticides or use of hormones or even vaccines, you know, we're a very good partner to those customers because all of our livestock are outdoors and living very natural life. 
according to their instincts, and we're not using chemicals in any way on the farm. And we are certified organic, so I think that's another sort of level of product that's now available. But overall, we're just trying to bring more foot traffic to all of the farmer's markets in the winters. We're in Honesdale, PA, and Holly, PA, which are incredible markets. We're trying to make those full-fledged alternatives to grocery stores where you can get veg, bread, meat, honey, anything you may you may need. So we're really working with all of our partner farmers to build those up. And then many of the shops we work with, whether that's Main Street, Livingston Manor, Proper to Go in Narrowsburg, Joe Robs in Honesdale, Better World in Milford, we're working through you know, all of the PEX, Pete's, all those chains, trying to introduce more local products to consumers so that they can enjoy those. It's more sustainable. I think it's better, more nutritious food. And, yeah, we have a lot more work to do. The majority of the people here still are buying, you know, globally produced products at grocery stores. And so we're probably, I don't know what percentage we are at this market, but maybe 5%, 10%, and so a lot more room for growth uh, in both summer and, and winter. I am familiar with your rainbow eggs from shopping at the farmer's markets. We're in November, so the season, you mentioned turkeys. Let's talk turkey. <laughs> yeah, so we raise a little over 100 pasture-raised turkeys. They have a short window in our brooders, then they're grown outdoors. Uh, they really just have a roost structure. We're rotating them so they're able to eat grass, insects, frogs, whatever they like. Um, they get a lot of their diet from just foraging on our pastures, and we have them available for uh, pre-order on our website. That's twocreek.net, T-W-O-C-R-E-E-K.net. We significantly expanded our production this year, and so we're happy to have plenty of turkeys available <laughs> between now and Thanksgiving, but they are selling quite quickly. They're also, it's a certified organic product, and they're heirloom breeds. So we have uh, both bronze as well as White Hollands, uh, and it's just wonderful to see uh, all of our poultry. We're using traditional breeds. Our meat chickens, we use Freedom Rangers as opposed to Cornish Cross. You know, we're using breeds of animals that really function well in nature so that they're able to forage and be active, and that translates into better flavor and better health. That's really the reason we focus on those breeds. If someone orders one of your turkeys, how do they arrive? Do they arrive frozen or freshly packed? Yeah, we do uh, harvest our turkeys in October, so they will be frozen. And that's really an animal welfare issue. We don't like to run our turkeys outdoors right up until late November because of predation, because of cold weather, because of freezing water systems. It's a very sort of outdoor model that we're using, and it just does not work as well for the animals in November that it does in, in September. So we harvest in early October, and we have a whole set of 
pickup locations, Livingston Manor, Narrowsburg, Honesdale, uh, Milford, even down in Hackettstown, New Jersey, Waverly, PA, Hawley, PA. So we have seven or eight pickup locations where mm-hmm. customers can pick up the, those turkeys the weekend before Thanksgiving. So that's a busy weekend for us. You mentioned predation. What kind of predation are you having for turkeys? Do you have coyotes in the area? Well, the biggest predator challenges that we face are when the turkeys are young, and that that is by owls. It's very hard for us to protect against aerial predators because we have great electric fencing, but obviously that doesn't in any way stop owls, and owls come out at first light. And when the turkeys are small, too small to really defend themselves against owls, which are quite small birds, then um, the owls will basically decapitate them and leave the turkey, the whole rest of the turkey behind because they're, they're too light to fly off with it. So they have the entire head, uh, neck, everything as their breakfast, and they fly away and will just find the rest of the turkey there. So many times we'll bring that in and have that for breakfast to get some some value out of that. But as the season continues then we do have increasing pressure. You know, it can be bear, uh, it can be coyotes. Um, there's all kinds of challenges. But turkeys are, are large, so smaller animals like foxes, raccoons, I think they're pretty good against those animals. Typically, it's the larger predators. And predators are just going crazy against all of our animals as we move into the fall. They want to put on those calories to maintain themselves throughout the winter. There's less food available. So we really try to get all of our pastured poultry off the fields by early October. And then our our laying hens, you know, we usually keep them on our rotations through about early November, and then they spend much of the winter with access to a greenhouse so they can stay stay warm there. I know in some of your farmer's markets, you have value-added products. Are they all locally produced? Yeah, so we have a number of partnerships. We're working with the Mount Pleasant Herbery, which is a a soap uh, shop in Honesdale, and they're making soap using our animal fats. Um, So we have tallow and lard-based soaps that are really an amazing value-added product that's using what would otherwise be a waste product. When we harvest our animals, we can't sell enough tallow or lard independent of creating products like this. So it's a great way to have a, a very natural moisturizing soap. It's animal fat, so it's the same fat that's in your own skin. Very popular product. We also work with another farm called Faraway Farms on honey. They put hives on our farm, which is incredible because we're, you know, 100 acres, but we're surrounded by hundreds of acres of absolutely, you know, pristine forests. So, you know, we, we have these honeybees essentially creating honey where there's no pesticides, herbicides, so on and so forth, because many times they're placed in orchards, which is where you would have all of those chemicals. So we're very excited to be making honey without any chemicals 
uh, and we're working with Faraway Farms with Anita there uh, to produce that. So yeah, we're hoping to, again, build a stronger local agricultural economy through some of these value-added products as well. Those are nice gifts for Christmas time. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> They're in Holly and Honesdale. We're, we're in those markets all winter. Okay, before we close, what else would you like to bring to our conversation? <laughs> You're a wealth of knowledge. Well, I guess I'd just like to encourage everyone to, as much as possible, support what all of uh, the local farmers in this community are doing. It's a very hard job. We are able to produce the incredible food that we can because consumers buy it. And frankly, there are not enough consumers continuing to buy this food year-round. So many of us see a huge dip in revenue moving into the winter season. But we're there at the markets, incredible products to buy. So yeah, as I mentioned, we have turkeys on pre-order at the twocreek.net website, but we're also at the Holly and Honesdale markets and really trying to build those into flourishing winter markets with amazing uh, produce throughout the coldest time of the year. So Honesdale is Saturdays from 11 to 1, which is a very forgiving time slot. You can wake up late, sleep in, have your coffee and still come and hit the market midday. Holly is in indoors as well in the Holly Hub on uh, Main Street. That's Fridays from 1 to 4, so a nice afternoon market, and many people do their weekend shopping there. This season, we launched a what we call our farm-to-door delivery service. So we do have free home deliveries once a week to Sullivan County, uh, to Wayne County and to Pike County, and that's been growing quite well throughout the season. So that's another option to order any of our products online and have those delivered directly to your doorstep. Well, Brent Habig from Two Creek Farm, Two Creek Regenerative Farm in Lakewood, Pennsylvania, thank you so much for your time, for coming all the way over here to Liberty in Sullivan County, from Northeast Pennsylvania. You're a wealth of knowledge and you bring a lot of goodness into our community. Thank you. Well, thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure. We'll be hearing more about regenerative farming with Brent in future segments on Radio Catskills Farming Country. In the meantime, twocreek.net has more information. Here is Christine San Jose to offer us some poetic sentiment on this Veterans Day. The poets along the Poets Row today are thinking about one and all. That's to say, we're all separate from each other. We each have our own life to live. But we're all in it together, aren't we, the human species on this earth We've been thinking this week of Veterans Day, Remembrance Day, Armistice Day, as we still call it in England. So here's a poem from Maya, shared with us by Highlights for Children. Maya says, It is time for peace, love, and happiness. 
It is time for the killing to end. Lord, let it end. Lord, let it end. It is time to sleep without thinking of dying so the living can be as sweet as our dreams. Oh, Maya, let's see what us grown-ups can try to do for you and leave you a better world. This has been Christine San Jose along the Poets Row for Farm and Country. We hope that you enjoyed our show this week with production by Radio Catskill volunteers Keith Hubbard and Christine San Jose. Special thanks goes to our guest, Brent Habig, from Two Creek Farm in Lakewood, Pennsylvania. This has been your host, Rosie Starr. Thanks for listening local to Farm and Country and supporting Radio Catskill. Public Radio for the Catskills and Northeast Pennsylvania. Listen on air at 90.5 FM, on your phone or smart speaker, and online at wjffradio.org. Support for Farm and Country comes from Damascus Citizens for Sustainability a community-supported, science-based nonprofit, taking legal actions, providing tools for action, and raising awareness of fracking damage since 2008, proactively protecting public health in the Delaware River Basin and beyond. DamascusCitizens.org Is it her leather jacket, her devil-may-care attitude, or her willingness to see absolutely everything go up in smoke? On the next Selected Shorts, join me, Meg Wallitzer, and authors including Margaret Atwood, as we find out what makes a woman dangerous. Sunday night at 7 on Radio Catskill. CDC recommends everyone six months and older get